Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be certain of the standing we have before you because of Jesus, our Saviour and our God. We thank you for this in his name. Amen. Well, do take a seat. I'll pray for you. It's always encouraging to know that somebody is committed to praying for you, that they know your concerns, they know what's going on, to the extent that they're willing to bring it before God, to commit your concerns on your behalf to God. It's encouraging to know, I'll pray for you, to hear that. Certainly more encouraging, I think, than the politicians, our thoughts and prayers are with you, which I'm not sure what that means. But what I think is actually even more encouraging than hearing, I'll pray for you, is hearing that somebody has prayed for you, to know that they've actually followed through on that commitment, and to not only know that they have prayed for you, but to know what they've prayed for you. Not always encouraging um, to know what they've prayed for you. It might sometimes require hard work on your behalf, but I think it's encouraging to know uh, the specifics, that they've been specific in their prayers for you. Uh, And here we have in the last uh, substantial recorded prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, we get to hear that Jesus has indeed prayed for us, that he had us in mind as he went to the cross, as he committed these thoughts on the eve of his crucifixion, that he prayed for us, for his disciples of the day uh, and for himself. And we can learn quite a lot as we delve into this to see what it was that Jesus prayed for himself, for his first disciples and for us. So if you've closed that up, it would be helpful to open up to page 1083 uh, as we follow through this. And as we do, we'll see that Jesus, we'll see Jesus' concern for the completion of his important work in, for which God sent him into the world. We'll see that he prays for the protection and the unity of his disciples so that their ministry might be achieved. And we'll see that he prays for all believers, including us, for unity and our witness to the world. And we'll see that he breaks the prayer up into, I think comfortably it fits into three sections, that he prays first for himself, then for his disciples, and then for all believers. So firstly, let's have a look at how Jesus and what Jesus prays for himself. Now sometimes when we pray for ourselves, our prayers can be very self-seeking about what we want God to do for us rather than what we can do for God. But we see even as Jesus prays for his own glorification, which seems like a big thing to pray, we'll see that he's far from self-seeking as he does so, because it's not actually his own glorification that he seeks, but that of God the Father. Have a look, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. In fact, all through John's Gospel in particular, we see that Jesus' primary concern was the glory of his Father, that he might bring praise and honour to him, 
But we see particularly that the way that that praise and honour is brought to him, the way that Jesus seeks to glorify God the Father, is by showing the world who God is, by revealing God to the world. Uh, We see this through Jesus' life, through his teaching, through the miraculous signs he performs. But we also see a thread throughout all of John's Gospel that the point of the greatest glorification, the point at which Jesus as God the Son will be most glorified, is in his death and resurrection and ascension. The cross is the point of Jesus' glorification. Now that might seem a surprising thing. There's few things you can imagine less glorifying than being hung naked and bloodied in front of the crowds until you died. But if Jesus glorifies his Father, if the point of, uh, of Jesus brings glory to his Father by showing the world who God is, then we see that in the cross, this is the clearest demonstration of who God is. In the cross, we see God, the Son, as the self-sacrificing Son, the one who loves the world to the extent that he would lay down his own life. We see in the cross God's perfect justice and mercy shown. And we see in Jesus' resurrection the confirmation of the defeat of sin and death and in his ascension as he returns to heaven we see the authority that has been given to him. So in this moment of his death leading to his resurrection and ascension God is glorified as his character is truly revealed. And so in Jesus praying that God the Father might glorify the Son at this moment, he's saying, please do that work. Lead me to the cross, to my death. He's praying that God might bring about his death, but that God might use his death to bring about his good purposes that God might turn what on the face of it might be a great tragedy and defeat into a glorious victory over sin and death and the powers of evil. Jesus prays that his humiliating and agonising death might bring glory to him and in doing so to the Father. And Jesus longs to share that glory with his Father. Have a look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Again, here, even as Jesus prays to share in that glory, it's not a self-seeking thing. He longs to be, again, in his Father's presence, to enjoy that intimacy and to enjoy his Father's splendor with him. And he longs to do that as he, as he will, as he ascends back into heaven. So Jesus first prays for himself that his death might bring about God's good purposes and bring glory to God. Then he goes on to pray for his disciples, those he's gathered around him, uh, particularly the 11, Judas, the one who would betray him, has already departed from them at this point. 
And so Jesus prays for those who remain that their faith will be protected, that they will be protected from evil, and they will be prepared for God's service. So he says in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and now they have obeyed your word. Indeed, one of the ways in which Jesus was bringing glory to God through his life, as he revealed who God was, and as he reached those whom God had chosen, uh, they responded by trusting in Jesus, which brought glory to Jesus and therefore to God. But we see that behind all this, it was always God's initiative, God who chose them. God the Father gave them to the Son, the Son in obedience drew them in. Uh, But we also see as Jesus prays for them how they have responded. They've responded by obeying his word. They've trusted in him. They've accepted that the words Jesus spoke were truly God's words and they believed. So it was God's initiative but uh, Jesus also observes the human response. And by saying that they believed, it's not that the disciples comprehensively understood everything. It's clear, uh, and as we'll look at in the next few weeks, it's clear that they didn't understand everything. It's not that they had to understand everything, and this is true for them and true for us as well. It's not that they had to understand everything. But they had a deep conviction that Jesus was truly God's messenger, the one that God had sent to show the world who God was and to bring about his good purposes. A deep conviction that everything that Jesus taught was God's truth. And so a willingness to listen to it and obey it. And so having uh, described this group of disciples, those who've responded to him, Jesus goes on to make his second request, which we see uh, over the page in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Protect them by the power of your name. That seems a fairly vague idea, isn't it? Just a a concept of the power of your name. But we can unpack this a bit more to understand what Jesus was actually asking of God the Father. If you keep your finger on that page, but just flick back again to uh, the page before and verse 6. It says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. And on you, there's a little A and a footnote that in the Greek it says, your name. It literally means, I have revealed your name to them. Now, in the idea of the name in Hebrew thought was that that constituted the person's character. I have revealed your character to them. I have revealed your name to them. And here, Jesus says, back in verse 11 now, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
So I think what Jesus is praying for here for his disciples, his prayer for protection, is a prayer that they might be kept faithful to that revelation that Jesus has given them about God, to remain faithful to the character of God that, God, that Jesus has shown them. His prayer that they be protected by his name is a prayer that he would keep them in their trust in him, keep them in their commitment to him, their faith in him, and in doing so, keep them in unity. And this request comes with a purpose, that he might keep them, protect them by the power of his name, so that they might be one, and so that they might experience the full measure of Christ's joy. The idea of experiencing Christ's joy has come up before in John's Gospel, back in chapter 15, uh, in that image of Jesus being the vine and his followers being the branches. Uh, Jesus talks about the joy of remaining in the Father's love, the joy of knowing eternal life, knowing relationship with God, knowing that deep friendship. And we saw back then, uh, as is hinted at here, that that true joy comes through obedience to him. As we continue to trust in Jesus, as we continue to know the relationship with God through that trust, we fully realise the joy as we seek to obey God instead of fighting against his good plans for us. So Jesus is praying initially for his first disciples that they might be protected in their faith uh, so that they might be united and know the joy of knowing him. And then he goes on to ask a few more things on their behalf, a few more requests, that God protect them from the evil one and that he sanctify them. Jesus says, I'm, I'm returning to you, but they're going to stay here and they're in this kind of awkward situation. The disciples face that situation, as we continue to do now, of neither being able to compromise with the world, nor being able to disengage it, to being in the world, but not being part of the world that lives in rejection of God. And so Jesus prays for his disciples that even though he's about to head to his death, and his death and resurrection and ascension will achieve the principal defeat of evil and the devil. The devil retains a capability of causing some collateral damage in his death throes. His defeat is assured, has been achieved by Jesus, but he pretends as if he still has power and he can do some damage until Christ returns. Well, he can try to do some damage. You see, Jesus' prayer here is that they be protected from that. That the safety that only God himself can provide will be given them. And Jesus is certain of this. That safety is assured. That his disciples will safely remain in him regardless of what happens and that they will continue to hold on to his word, to trust what he had spoken to them. 
It's not a promise that nothing bad will happen to them, but a promise that they will continue to be in a relationship with God, continue to be protected in that relationship. That whatever they face, they can be certain of their place with God. And Jesus says, just as I sanctify myself, I want you to sanctify them. Now, to be sanctified means to be made holy, which is kind of, it's, it's technical language, isn't it? It means to be set apart for God's service. So God is saying, just as he, uh, in obedience to his Father's work, on his way to the cross, will has sanctified himself. He set himself apart for God's service and will do so in obedience. And in fact, his death makes it possible for his disciples to also uh, be set aside for God's special purpose. So Jesus, in asking God in uh, verse 17 to sanctify them, he's just saying, protect them for that special purpose which you have in mind for them. But he says how, how God will achieve this. Verse 17, have a look. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If Jesus' disciples are going to do this special work that God has in mind for them, if, which particularly, their particular task was to preserve Jesus' teaching uh, and to establish the church through spreading it. So through writing the New Testament and through establishing the early church, that was a specific task that God had in mind for his disciples. But again, for the disciples and now for us, if we're going to be set aside for God's special work in the world, that which he gives each of us to do, we're to be sanctified by the truth and his word is the truth. This is how we're to do it. As we read God's word, as the Spirit works in us to help us to wrestle with it, to understand it, we come to know God. We come to learn to live in accordance with his purposes for us. We learn to grow more and more in an understanding of the world that aligns with God's understanding of the world. If we're to be set aside... For God to do his work in the world through us, we need to be shaped by the truth, by his word. And as we've looked at Jesus' prayers for his disciples and seen that there's a flow on of the same principle for us, we see uh, in the final section of Jesus' prayer uh, that he's not praying just with his disciples in mind, but for all those who would come after them, even for us here today. It's a, a sobering thought, I think, an encouraging thought to know that as Jesus went to his death, he even had you and me in mind as he prayed to his Father. He, as he prayed for his disciples, so too he prayed for us, those who would come after him. Have a look at verse 20. My prayer is for, not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's encouraging to know that somebody's prayed for you, isn't it? Particularly encouraging, I think, to know that the Lord himself prayed for us. Encouraging and perhaps challenging to know what he prayed for us. Let's have a look and unpack what Jesus prayed for all believers. Jesus prays for a unity of the kind of unity that he enjoys with the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and and with the Holy Spirit as well, include a unity, a unity of will and purpose. They desire the same things, they seek the same things, they work for the same things. A desire of, a, a unity of love, of love for one another and love for the world and a unity of action for one another. The Father acts for the benefit of the Son. The Son acts in obedience to the Father. And Jesus wants us to share in that same unity, in submission to the truth. So this is not to be a token unity, that we just all share the same name, the same title, have the same membership card. The unity that Jesus desires for us, for us as a group, for us as a church and for the wider church, the unity he desires for us is to be a real unity, a profound unity of character, of belief and of purpose, just as he and the Father share that unity of character, of belief and of purpose. He desires unity in us for a purpose. Did you see what he said? That we might be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the unity that Jesus desires is not just a unity amongst ourselves, but a unity amongst ourselves with God himself and so that we might bear witness to the world, so that the world may believe that God the Father had sent Jesus, that Jesus is truly God's Son, revealing revealing God to the world and bringing about his good purposes through his death. And Jesus goes on to pray, and I I think this is where we get to the best bits of Jesus' prayer for us. Jesus goes on to pray about our unity, that that unity might be perfected, that we might share in the unity of purpose and of wealth and of love, that unite the Father and the Son. Have a look at how he goes on. In verse 23... Uh, Just the second bit there, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus wants us to grow in our unity, to be perfected in our unity, so that the world might know of his love, of God the Father's love for us. 
But here's what makes it really good. Did you see how Jesus describes that love? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is a fact. Jesus is saying God has loved us as he has loved Jesus. And he wants the world to know that. What Jesus is saying here is that all who turn to him, all who trust in him, all who believe his word have been drawn into that loving relationship of the Father and the Son, such as the Almighty Father loves us with the very same love he reserves for his Son. Have you thought about that? The very love that God the Father has for God the Son is the same degree of love that he has for each and every one of us. What a privilege. That same love he reserves just for his son, he has shared with all of those who believe. That's the truth. And what Jesus prays is that we might be united so that the world can see that. So, there's a question for us. Do you think we as a group here, as a church here at St. Stephen's, is that what the world sees in us? God's great love for us. Is that even how we see ourselves? Do we appreciate the depth of God's love for us? I suspect the first isn't going to happen until the second happens. The world won't be able to see it unless we ourselves acknowledge it. And the question for us as a church to think through this morning is what might we need to do in order that we might work together in unity so that that might be our witness in the world, so that the world might know through us that God sent his son into the world so that we might be loved as God loves his own son. But wait, there's more. As if there could be anything greater or more wondrous than sharing in that same love that God has for us, is Christ's great desire for us to continue to share in that. Have a look. Jesus' desire is that we might enjoy his Father's glory with him. As Jesus prayed at the beginning, uh, that he might once again enjoy the Father's glory with him, Jesus' prayer now is that we also might be drawn in to enjoy that glory. Have a look at verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus desire is that we might know God's great love for us, but also that we might share in his great glory. This is what awaits us. It's encouraging to know that people pray for you. It's encouraging to know what Jesus has prayed for us. There's one more thing to draw out of here. That this is not just the teaching of Jesus that we have recorded here, but this is a prayer 
Jesus praying this prayer to his Father. God the Son praying it to God the Father. Now, God the Son is one with God the Father as he frequently attests. They're united in a perfect union of will and purpose. And Jesus prays this prayer with certain confidence that the Father will achieve his good purposes through his Son and through uh, his disciples. Jesus prays in certain confidence that God hears his prayer. He said this before as he's prayed. He's certain that God hears his prayer and will answer them. Because what Jesus prays for is exactly what God wants. So Jesus' prayers uh, align with God the Father's will, and so God the Father will always hear his prayers and answer them. Indeed, Jesus' prayers have, have been answered. The original disciples were united and protected so that they could record Jesus' words and establish the early church. And as we look through the history of the church, we see how, how Jesus' prayers for unity and witness have, and, uh, have borne fruit through the history of the church. I think we can even see Jesus' prayers being answered here at St. Stephen's as we share in the unity of purpose to make followers of Jesus Christ, as we seek a united character to be a church of what Jesus would be proud, as we demonstrate love to one another and seek to serve one another, and we see this happening amongst us. Jesus' prayer for us is being answered. We see his prayers that we might be united by the truth, as we prioritise knowing God through the teaching of his word. And we can be absolutely confident that God will continue to answer all of Jesus' requests. That we will finally come to know that glory and share in that glory of God the Father and God the Son. And so if this is God's will, that we can be confident of being answered, then we should work with it, not against it. We should seek to do what Jesus has prayed that we might do, that we be united, that we continue in that, that we continue to bear witness to the world. But there's one more thing. We shouldn't just do it, but we should pray for it. If Jesus saw it was important to pray for those things, if Jesus, who knows the very will and purposes of God and his plans, still felt it was important for him to ask that God might do what he had promised to do, then we should follow his example. Not just do it, but pray that God would do it through us. That the Lord's prayer here should be our prayer. So let's do that now. Let me close as we pray for those things that uh, Christ has prayed for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you sent Jesus in, into the world to show yourself to the world and to achieve your good purposes, the defeat of evil and sin through his sin-bearing death. We thank you that
He did not remain dead, but you raised him to life and he has ascended into heaven to share again the glory he had with you before the world began. We thank you for the way in which you've answered his prayer, that you protected his disciples and established your church. And we thank you for the way in which you're continuing to do that work through your church throughout the world and here at St. Stephen's. We pray that you might preserve in us a unity of purpose, of character, of belief in the truth. That you might work in us to bring that unity to completion, to perfection. That all the world might look at us and see your great love. That all the world might look at us and know that Jesus is the one you sent into the world. That they might turn to him in faith. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you shared that very love reserved for your Son with us as well. And so we ask as we go out into the world this week that you might guide us in the certain hope of knowing your love fully and enjoying your glory with you and Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <laughs>